and you are listening to the Real Issue Podcast today. Thank you for tuning in. Last week, we dealt with the issue of what is the Bible and eight things that you and I needed to know about the Bible. And I mentioned to you last week that we were going to talk about the ways that people are going, the ways that, excuse me, the ways that people approach the Bible. Now, I'm going to also bring in something this week because something happened during the week on Facebook that has just spun things up a little bit and I want to address it and that is this whole idea of uh, scholarship and the Holy Spirit and I'll talk to you a little bit more about that in the second part of our show today but what we'll do is we'll deal with uh, these views that are out there as far as how people approach the Bible and and time warranting, we may get to the the Holy Spirit and the, and the Holy Spirit and, and scholarship this week. We may not, but my goal, depending on how, how far this goes and how the Lord takes this. Now, you know, you and I can go and we can look at passages of scripture and there are many Bible teachers out there. Many of them are good Bible teachers, many good expositors. And these folks are using a using an approach to scripture called exegesis. And I'll explain that to you in just a moment. And then, you know, there are pastors and preachers out there that are really just on the far left. Just on the far left. And they are using this thing called eisegesis. And then you have people who are dealing with looking for themselves in the scripture. And these folks are tied in with the New Apostolic Reformation and some other strange Christian groups that are out there. And folks, when I say strange Christian groups, I'm talking about my brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe that these folks are saved. But I do believe that they are taking an an approach to Scripture that is just totally far left field. And I'll explain that in in just a moment as well. And then there are pastors who are preaching the Word, and they're looking to find a way to apply it. And it's treated as a way, as a metaphor. And I call that lazy Jesus. And I'm going to talk about these terms in the first part of our show today, and then we'll, we'll move forward. You know, but why is all this happening? The reason why this is happening, I believe, is because there's a problem in our churches today, and that problem is anti-intellectualism. And this ties in beautifully with the second part of our show today, and and. One of the catalysts of this is due to basically what I think are two plagues in the church today reflecting the mishandling of the Word of God. Now, I alluded to these methodologies of approaching Scripture. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to explain these to you, and then we'll move forward. Now, now when I talk about exegesis, if I'm going to clarify, speaking of this word exegesis, what I'm referring to is what I'm referring to is a critical explanation and interpretation of, the, of a passage of scripture. 
And it's the process of the one doing the study, leading the study, the pastor, the teacher, the Bible study leader, whatever the case may be, even the believer in their Bible study, they go through and what they do is they study the text. They interpret it against other parts of Scripture. In other words, the, the analogy of Scripture, where Scripture interprets Scripture, and then they explain it to the listener or to the congregation, and what you have is a solid, biblical, what does it say, what does it mean, here's how we apply it. Instead, we're seeing, instead of a proper hermeneutical exegesis, what we are inundated with are these two plagues that I referred to just a moment ago. One of them's been around with us for a little while now. It's called eisegesis, and these are in your liberal churches. And eisegesis essentially is the opposite of exegesis in that it forces the meaning into the text instead of drawing out the proper meaning of the text. Eisegesis is often done when one makes the text say something that it does not say or does not, it is not naturally intended to say. Now, this is common. This is a common interpretational fallacy, unfortunately, and occurs in many liberal pulpits today across our nation. You know, when I was pastoring a church in Caroline County, uh, Virginia, and I was part of an association of Baptist churches, I was an exegetical preacher along with a couple of friends of mine of two other churches. We believed in expository preaching and exegetical interpretation. Out of the 12 Baptist churches that were in that association, we were the only three Bible-believing, inerrant-believing, hermeneutical, exegetical pastors. The rest of the churches were liberal. And you see, if you go and you read the passage and you, you try to read something into the passage that is not there, you run into this thing called liberalism. You write in the pool, the, the, the swamp of liberalism, where you are um, undoctrinal, you know, you're, you're borderline heretical. I mean, I, I know one pastor in that county, who, if he's still pastoring today, I, don't, I still don't think he believes in the virgin birth of Jesus. Another pastor, I don't think if he's still pastoring, uh, he doesn't believe in a same body crucified, same body resurrection. If you don't believe in a same body crucified, same body resurrection, glorified body of the same body crucified, uh, what hope do we have? He's got nothing to give his people. Now, I'll leave these uh, pastors in these churches unnamed because there are good people in those churches that need to understand what their pastors believe. So this is the first plague, the, the plague of eisegesis. The second plague of eisegesis is this new approach I alluded to just a second ago. It is this thing called narcissus, and boy, oh boy, when you start dealing with this, you have an opportunity to go off in different tangents. And this is what narcissus is now. You know, you hear this term, we've heard this term, you've probably seen this term on Facebook, you might have heard it in some of your circles that you've hobnobbed with if you if you are keeping track of what's going on in the church like we are. Narcissus is the term combining exegesis, which is drawing out of the meaning drawing out the meaning of a passage, and narcissism, 
That's right, narcissus. Exegesis plus narcissism equals narcissus. And narcissus is the practice of interpreting a passage of scripture where you have the one studying the scripture, whether it's the pastor, the Bible teacher, the teacher, uh, or the believer. And what, it, what, you, what we have here is they're interpreting the passage and inserting themselves into the text, inserting the listener into the text. In other words, this is the act of interpretation where the meaning of the text is not only forced into the text, but it is centered around the listener or the teacher or the preacher. The main idea of the text becomes, actually, actually becomes the listener. Now, if you're in one of those churches, you need to run because that is a false way of interpreting the Bible. Like an, ex an eisegetical pastor, narcissetical pastors and teachers and Bible teachers are leading you down the path of some dangerous trends. When you, when you start looking at eisegetical passages and you start looking at narcissetical passages uh, preachers, uh, eisegetical pre preachers and narcissetical preachers, you are really um, are treading into dangerous ground if you go and you start believing these pastors. Now, what do I mean by this? These two plagues, eisegesis and narcissus, are actually catalysts for opening up the sheep, believers, to every wind of doctrine. And, and faulty interpretation. Just what are some of these deceptions? What are, what are some of these things that uh, have come from a faulty approach to Scripture? Well, uh, we, can, we can look uh, pretty far here. We see word faith theology or the prosperity gospel. We see the law of attraction in Christian terms. We see mindfulness. We've seen this practice that's tied in with Buddhism Buddhism mysticism called contemplative prayer with the Lectio Divina, which is repeating a word after a word of scripture, just taking a little fragment of doesn't matter what it is. It could be a word and repeating it over and over and over and over and over again. And you can get yourself involved in a one-on-one -on -one encounter, which you believe to be the presence of God. And it's using uh, that as an incantation. The, the contemplative prayer, also the movement contemplative prayer, is also illustrated in the Be Still movie that's in there that has folks like Beth Moore and Patric uh, Priscilla Shire and, and others. You have the New Apostolic Reformation that uh, sounds like they're biblical, but they're not in the fact that they believe that apostolic and prophetic authority supersedes that of a pastor of a local church. But the interesting thing is whenever the folks infiltrate, these folks infiltrate the church, the pastor takes, if the pastor doesn't know his theology, he will accept them and submit to that authority. And of course, I'll do a, another show on the new apostolic reformation, maybe at a later time. Boy, we're, I'll tell you one thing though, we are seeing things happening today in the church in America. And folks, if we don't start clinging to biblical theology and taking a stand and getting in, getting apologetics into the church 
and doing evangelism in a conversational style, folks, we're going to be in a lot of trouble in the next year and a half. I said it. Yes, a year and a half. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But this is usually the cycle, This, you know, the time span that usually happens when we start seeing something else come up. And we can trace that. Getting back, you have the you have progressive Christianity, and this is some one of the things that I think we really need to uh, really be careful of. If you want some good information on that, Elisa Childers, who is one who is written on this, you can go to her blog at elisachilders.com, and you can read what she has to say on it. How she encountered, but there is Elisa uh, uh, Childers who. Uh, she and her husband uh, were in a church, and some of the things about what the pastor didn't believe about the Bible and what the church was and some of the messages and stuff, there was a lot, a lot of problems. We'll do a show on the New Apostolic Reformation. We'll also do one on Progressive Christianity, since I have both of those in my mind right now. You also have the acceptance and the caving in to aberrant lifestyles. And you also have the acceptance of Eastern pantheistic practices that are being used uh, in the church, smuggled in with Christian terms, what we call Christianese. All scripture, folks, is theonustos. It's inspired by God. It's God-breathed. And it's profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God and the woman of God, if you will, may be thoroughly adequate for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And folks, what we also need to remember before we go to a break here, we need to remember that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, they spoke from God. The Bible is inerrant, meaning that it has no errors. It is protected and preserved by the Holy Spirit and it is sufficient and this is why Jesus himself stated in John chapter 10, verse 35, that the scriptures cannot be broken. And thus the statement that I'm making here with regards to these two plagues, before I get to another one here, the reason why I'm making this clarion call is to all who love and believe and revere, not worship the Bible, but revere the Bible and want to see Jesus Christ's church thrive in our increasingly secular culture. And folks, this is where I stand in the Martin Luther way. Here I stand, I can do no other. But folks, before we go to a break, there's another thing I'd like to bring to the table here too. On this thread on Facebook, I had mentioned some things and my friend Colin Brendamule had come out with a another methodology. And that methodology is what we call Lazy Jesus, not Lazy J-E-S-U-S, but L-A-Z-Y-G-E-S-I-S. Lazy Jesus is when you have people who are reading not into the word, but they're reading around the word. A really popular hermeneutic is then when, we, when they use scripture as a metaphor for life. Its authority is taken away entirely, and it shows up when a sermon talks about finding an equivalent in your life that matches what someone in Scripture went through. No time is spent on discerning what God is saying in the passage. It is all about basically 
an existential experience, and that makes the metaphor approach easy and very therapeutic for people. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of lazy Jesus in the churches today. You can recognize the difference between lazy Jesus and Narsa Jesus in the fact that when you start hearing a preacher or a pastor or a Bible teacher trying to find themselves or find you in the passage, that's Narsa Jesus. Lazy Jesus is trying to find uh, a way of preaching around it so that you can have a therapeutic message on how you can live your Christian life. You don't need lazy Jesus to, to apply scripture and live a, a godly Christian life. All you need to do is use exegesis. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about Holy Spirit and scholarship. We'll be back in just a moment. Hello, this is Rob Lundberg from The Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the show this week. We'd like to ask you to do us a favor and go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever platform you're listening to, and give a review. Give us five stars and help us move up the review scale so people will get more exposure to The Real Issue Podcast and The Real Issue Apologetics Ministry. We'll be more than happy to share with you more about what the show is all about and what our ministry is all about. Also, be sure to subscribe to The Real Issue Podcast so that you'll be able to listen to more shows and get more equipped as we go out to give our world heaven. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. You know, one of the attacks that we can hear as Christians against Christianity is, oh, you know, the Gospels, they've been altered. Well, what would you just say to somebody who says, haven't the Gospels been altered, Jim? Yeah, and that was one of my first doubts. Number one, it could not have been written early because all these fictional accounts of miracles and stuff like that, they couldn't have been written when people were actually around to say no. And the other question was, well, maybe these accounts, these the supernatural aspects were inserted later. Maybe the, the first version of Jesus was a simple guy who was a good teacher, but not a miracle worker, didn't walk on water, and didn't rise from the dead for crying out loud. So it's gotta be a late insertion. Well, one thing we do in criminal cases to determine if the stuff we see at the crime scene is actually the same evidence we have in the courtroom, even though 30 years can separate these two events, mm -hmm. is I look at what's called the chain of custody. And it simply is this. Do I have a photograph or a report description of that piece of evidence, let's say it's a shell casing, at the scene of the crime? Did an officer take a Polaroid back in the, in the day? Or did he write it in his report, describing it very accurately? And then he gives it to the person at property who takes a report and signs it in. I see he signs it out. And they sign it to another detective at some point who takes another Polaroid and describes it again in his report and he brings it to the crime lab. They take a 35 millimeter photograph back in those days and then they would sign that back out to another detective who also takes a, another picture or describes it again and brings it into the courtroom 30 years later. Well now I can see a snapshot of this casing from the crime scene over and over and over again all the way to the courtroom. So I can look and see well you know that little nick I see in that little scrape mark that was on the original. I, can, I know that's been there for 30 years. Same kind of thing can happen, I think, with the Gospels. We have an original, a supposedly piece of evidence, say it's the Gospel of John. But how do we know that John's Gospel hasn't changed dramatically? Well, he had another officer in the chain of custody that he gave that Gospel to. He taught that Gospel to three students, Papias, Ignatius, and Polycarp. And they, as church leaders, wrote a letter to their followers in which they describe what they learned from John. And they give it to another 
officer in the chain of custody, their student, Irenaeus, who gives it to his student, Hippolytus. All these folks wrote about what they learned over the years. And we can then see if the version of Jesus we have, let's say at the first council that affirms the canon in Laodicea in 363, what does that Jesus look like compared to this Jesus? And as we look at it, Jesus never changed. The Jesus that we know today, who claimed to be God, who born of a virgin, rose from the dead, that Jesus is present at every stage in the chain of custody. See, that's so assuring, isn't it? It is, because you can see that it hasn't changed over time. Hello, and my name is Rob Lundberg, and I'm the founder and director of the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry based in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Blaise Pascal once said that faith has its reasons that reason does not know. I want to let you know today that faith is often defined in many, many different ways. But we know it as Christians as being where it involves putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But with that, many people have objections. The Real Issue Apologetics Ministry is here to help you learn how to articulate your faith in a very intelligent manner and bring the person to a conversation with the gospel. We've tried to come alongside churches and pastors to be able to equip their people. We're available to speak to you. We would love for you to give us a call at 540-424-2305 or email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. Let us come together to help reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. back. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for listening to the Real Issue Podcast. The po Real Issue Podcast is the podcast arm of the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry and Rob Lundberg Apologetics. You can go to our website. You'll be able to go to the listen link and you'll be able to listen to other shows that we have gone and done in the past. We have a list. I got to get that caught up, by the way. I just uh, want to let you know. We've also gone and updated our YouTube channel. I've taken some videos off, and we're going to be putting some uh, short videos on. I'm finding that people's attention span for videos is a little short. So just from the uh, analytics that we've gone and done, that's not a, a put down or anything like that. That's just going and saying, okay, I think our audience will like shorter videos. So we're looking to do that in the very near future. But... What I want to do now is move into something that I had seen on Facebook. My friend Evan Minton uh, wrote an essay not too long ago, I guess last month. He says uh, the, the title of it is, who needs, to, who needs Scholarship When You Have the Holy Spirit? I can't tell you how much I am hearing about that right now. You know, been in some churches, I'll, I'll leave unnamed. And there seems to be a lot of criticizing of scholarship the fact that you can't be a scholar and be a christian or you're not a you're a pharisaical 
uh, Christian, if if you're into scholarship and all, and, you know, just trust the Holy Spirit. Well, let me ask you a question. Who is the author of knowledge? Who is the one who gave us knowledge? Of course, it was God. And by the way, if I go and I have the Trinity right, if I have my understanding of the Trinity right, last time I knew the Holy Spirit was involved in the Trinity and that the Holy Spirit interacts with the heart and the soul and the mind. And you know, what I want to say to this real quickly before I get into what I want to share with you is that, you know, I was saved in 1980. I got involved in apologetics shortly after I got saved. And what I believe in my heart makes sense in my mind. And you know that the heart and the heart and the mind work interactively with one another. So whenever I hear hear a pastor go and say, well, you know, the scholars say this, but we say this, and then, you know, you don't need scholarship, you have the Holy Spirit. That's like nails down a chalkboard for me whenever I'm sitting in a in a worship service. Evan goes to on to tell us that this type of thinking is a very disturbing trend and I agree with him and and along with fellow Christians those of us that are involved in the apologetics community and we're not trying to separate ourselves we want to come alongside the church we want to come alongside the church and help the church be able to stand tall in a post-Christian culture. But as we were talking about interpreting, 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 interpreting scripture, and 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 just he he brings in another one. He brings in another one called hermit hermeneutics or hermit nudics, uh, which is a method of reading the Bible in a complete vacuum and avoiding interaction with any scholarly material in the realm of biblical studies. He goes on to say that this is the practice of getting an English Bible, sitting somewhere off by yourself, reading it, and doing your best to figure out what it is saying, and hoping that the Holy Spirit will zap your brain with understanding when he wants you to notice, on what he wants you to notice and and pick up on something important. Now, I certainly don't want to knock that, okay? Please understand. And I do believe that the Holy Spirit does guide us in our scripture reading by making things dawn upon us. It gives us what we call illumination. Or, and, and what I mean by illumination is the fact that something sticks out to us. You know, something sticks out. You know, you're reading a passage of scripture and, you know, you didn't notice something before and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just draws it right out. And it's like, wow, I, I never really saw that before. You know, it's like, wow, I didn't realize that was there. That's kind of like, wow, I could have had a V8 moment. It certainly has happened to me many times when I've read the scripture in my 39 years of being a believer. However, you know, some, some people uh, think that it's all uh, it's all that, and that it means that the Holy Spirit reveals scriptural truths to you. You know, um, he goes on to talk about how he's gone and written some of these posts, how he got a, a letter from somebody. But let me just give you a few reasons why this line of thinking, you know, the Holy Spirit is all you need. Well, the Holy Spirit is all we need, but, you know, is, uh, who needs scholarship? If all you have, if you have the Holy Spirit, you know, let me just say this, um, and I'm saying this as gently and uh, very as gracious as I possible. The Holy Spirit does not give brownie points for being ignorant. 
the Holy Spirit does not, is not, ignorance is not in the list of the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? And there's no badge of honor for anti-intellectualism. We can understand scripture. You know, you have presuppositions and blind spots that scholars can help you realize if you believe this, okay? You have blind spots. Uh, you have presuppositions that scholars can help you realize. You know, you can understand much about Scripture on your own, but if you limit yourself to an English translation and never go outside your backyard Bible study, you'll be missing out on a lot. For one thing, every one of us holds presuppositions and we never ever even known were, were presuppositions until they were challenged. And believe me, the culture is challenging yours and my presuppositions today. So I, he says he'd like to look at natural disasters on TV and say Jesus is a coming any day now. The same goes for Genesis. He goes on to say that we're told that the Bible teaches certain things from the pulpit. And then we go on to read the Bible on our own and we just naturally see that we have been what we have been told to see. The whole general gist of this is he says that every one of us are blind by our preconceptions. Preconceptions, we start to under, uh, come to a text with expectations on, on what it should say, and we find confirmational proof texts that support our preconceptions. Anything that doesn't fit our system, we just explain away with strained ad hoc explanations that just shrug off, uh, just to shrug off, not knowing what to, what to call them. And, and, and then we, what we go and we call them problem passages. You know, There are difficult passages in Scripture. But what we need to understand is that the main things are the plain things and vice versa. The main things are the plain things are the plain things are the main things. You know, the question is about whether we're utterly handicapped or not and can't understand anything at all about what the Bible says without reading what the experts have to say. Well, folks, this is where the priesthood of the believer comes in if you're Baptist. I, I love that because, you know, the, the fact that we don't have to rely on popes or or priests or anybody to interpret the scripture, uh, to interpret the scripture at all. So that case, that that's not the case at all. In fact, that is intellectual elitism, and indeed, it's borderline papist. There's a lot we can understand about doctrine through just cracking open an English Bible and reading it through carefully. As Christ, as a Christian apologist, my friend Frank Turek often likes to say on the, the cross-examined radio, uh, radio program that the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. For example, you can know without any scholarly study at all that God created everything. He created mankind in his image to be in relationship with him. But you know, folks, we screwed up. So God became a man and died on the cross to take the punishment we deserve upon himself. But he later rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and he'll come back again someday to judge everyone, and he will create a new universe to place this, replace this decaying one. You know, you can know that you're a sinner, and that Jesus died on a cross to atone for your sins, and that if you place your faith in him, you will not perish but have eternal life, according to John chapter 3, verse 16. You can even know that Jesus is God in the prologue to John's gospel, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we love later on in verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You can follow that logically as well. Yet it is distinct in some way from God the Father 
and again indicated by the words of John's prologue. Another thing we need to bring in here is sometimes it's not the case of correcting interpretation, but it's a matter of digging deeper. In the cases of Genesis 1 and 2, uh, Psalm 82 and Matthew 24, Evan admits he probably will still be reading or misreading these passages if it were not for a certain few scholars. However, scholarship can not only correct misreadings of Scripture, sometimes it is a matter of seeing additional meaning that wasn't even plain. Um, the Holy Spirit, number three, also uses a variety of meaning to shed light on his word. When you think about all of this, when we started first talking about this on this part of the show, you know, I don't want to completely dismiss the idea that the Holy Spirit can make things dawn upon you or open your mind to the understanding as you read your Bible under a shady tree or on a nice summer afternoon. But who said that that is the only way? Of course, it's not the only way. Who said it's the only way that the Holy Spirit reveals things? It is not the only way that the Holy Spirit reveals things. The Bible certainly doesn't even teach that. In fact, the Bible contains an example in which a Christian came along, interpreted a passage for someone to help him and understand it. That was in Acts 8, with Philip going to the Ethiopian eunuch and records that an angel appearing to Philip, the angel told Philip to rise and go south Jerusalem to Gaza, Philip did as the angel had instructed, and Philip went up to this caravan where the eunuch from Ethiopia was reading Isaiah 53 out loud. And then he asked Philip, who is this talking about? And Philip was able to share that prophecy in Isaiah 53. And the Holy Spirit used Philip to lead the eunuch to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He didn't zap the eunuch uh, nor zapped the eunuch's mind, and the eunuch suddenly realized, oh, this passage is about that Nazarene who was crucified in Jerusalem a short while back. You see, so when it's all said, you know, we can and we do rely on the Holy Spirit. You know, I rely on the Holy Spirit, contrary to some of my local brethren's, brethren's opinion. Like I said, what I believe in my heart does make sense in my mind, and I don't have infinite knowledge. I don't have infinite knowledge at all, so I need the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me and direct me to make sure I'm not going sideways in my theology. And I do rely on the Holy Spirit to real, reveal truths of the Bible to me. But sometimes, folks, things just stick out to me or dawn on me while I'm reading. And sometimes it happens during what I'm hearing a sermon. Other times it happens reading commentary theological books like Walton or... Uh, Norm Geisler or Bill Craig, just as the Holy Spirit can use apologists and apologetics to convince a non-Christian that the Bible is true, the Holy Spirit can also use scholarship and scholars to help the Christian understand what the Bible means. Christians who choose not to avail themselves of the best theological biblical scholars put out there are depriving themselves of great insights that are available to them. Folks, we have a whole smorgasbord of resources out there for you and for me. And if you don't take advantage of them, man, are you missing out? Well, you know, when, with all of that said, we need to understand that we are really living in some interesting times. And I think next week, we're going to talk about progressive Christianity. You know, progressive Christianity 
is sneaking into the churches. And I'm going to introduce you to a ministry called Enemies Within the Church. Enemies Within the Church is a project that's going on right now that is exposing some of this stuff that is going on in the church. And folks, you know, we're living in very interesting times. And God calls you and I to be his ambassadors. And as we be his ambassadors, you and I face an everyday situation. You and I face opportunities to get involved in conversations with people. So the question then is, are we alert to those conversations? You know, you and I can go and talk about our favorite sports teams. We can talk about our favorite food and why our sports team is the best sports team. And we can talk about statistics. And we can go and we can talk about what the best food is or what the best mobile device app is or, or whatever. But what about talking about Jesus? What about talking about the greatest gift, the greatest person who has ever lived on this earth, who came to save you and I from our sins, who came to save you and I so that you and I can have eternal life and enjoy him in the here and the now and enjoy him in eternity and hopefully lead others to what you and I have. We need to make sure that our Christianity is attractive. We need to make sure that when they look at us and they find out that we're Christians, that we're not leaving a sour taste in their mouth. And as I wrap up this show today, I'm just reminded that, you know, we can misbehave on the Internet and we can go and leave a bad taste in people's mouths. I don't ever want to do that. But you know, if somebody wants to call us a Pharisee, when we're going and we're presenting something biblical, what they're telling me is that they are smarter than Jesus. And that's a problem. That's a problem because we have anti-intellectualism in the church. I may not do something on um, progressive Christianity, but I'm going to do something on that in not too distant future. But there's a lot of things stirring in my mind right now and what I want to share with you next week. And we'll do that as you go out this week. As you see people, they might not look like you. They might not dress like you. They may not even think like you. But they are people who God has created and they have intrinsic value. You and I need to be all in in being his ambassador. If we're not all in and we're going and just scoping somebody out, then we we need to check our heart. We need to check our heart. Go out this week, and as you go out, listen intently for that opportunity in a conversation. And as you do, go out and be his ambassador and give them heaven. We'll be back with you next week. Lord bless. (music) 